Hi, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Nine days into a new year. And uh, I wonder how you are with New Year's. Are you guys people who make New Year's resolutions? That's a lot of feedback this morning. <laughs> are you guys people who make New Year's resolutions? Yes? I don't. I never keep them. I never keep them. But I will uh, set some personal goals. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we go into the new year and we try to set some personal goals or even just learn from the year before all the things that maybe we had to deal with that we want to make sure we don't have to deal with again. Might try to be a benefit to other people. All sorts of things run through our mind as a new year starts. Because it's a new year. It's like a new hope. It's a new beginning. But for some, actually a new year is really just a repeat. It's a familiarity that is not good for them. That they're not enjoying. That they're not happy with. They look at the present situation they're in. They're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness and they wonder, are they ever going to come out? Are they ever going to get over what it is that they're dealing with? Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's things at work. Maybe it's financial. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's feeling trapped. You ever see that movie Groundhog Day? You're living in Groundhog Day. It's that same day over and over and over. And this new year is just fading away in nine days already. And it's fading into obscurity. Because the new year hasn't brought anything new yet. I'm still feeling the same fear or the same anxiety, the same worry, the same frustration, the same anger. And I can't seem to get over it. That's what we might be thinking. That's what you might be thinking today. Perhaps you find yourself there. The, the list of things that you want in 2022 is really short or non-existent. But the things that you unwant, that's pretty big. There's lots of things that you just don't want anymore. I don't want to deal with these things anymore. Why? Because in our day-to-day -day life, as we're dealing with these things, it's exhausting and we're tired. We're tired of thinking about it over and over. And I think most of us can relate at part in feeling that way, can't we? This is in the place and the culture that we live in now. I'm just tired of thinking about it, tired of dealing with it. We feel like we're at the end of our rope. This morning I got good news. I got good news because we're going to be working through a promise in Philippians chapter 4 that is going to help I hope us leave here this morning feeling refreshed, feeling excited, and feeling renewed about what's going on in our lives. Even if we're in that all too familiar Groundhog Day wilderness moment, the one that seems like it's never going to end, I'm prayerful that as we explore the promise today, that we'll see that our great God is going to provide us through all of this with everything that we need. Our promise is found in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 19. 
But we're going to start a little bit before that. We're going to start in verse 14. So let's read through that together. Starting in verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more, credit, more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the promise that we hear today that you are going to provide all that we need. And Father, my heart today is that our, our thoughts and our minds, some of us trapped in that wilderness, Lord, that we'll be ready to hear and receive this promise and see these situations that we're in in a brand new light, Lord. We pray all these things for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going to break down this passage a little bit. Here's what's happening. Paul is in a prison cell in Rome, and he's writing to the Philippians. And in this part of the, le- the, the letter, he is thanking and commending them for the, financi- for the financial support that they have given him. And they've given him uh, sponsoring and funding his third missionary journey, He does point out that they were the only church that sent him the financial uh, support. But his mission was to go out and spread the gospel. That's what they were supporting. And that's what Paul had dedicated his life to do. And this gospel that Paul was going to spread out was the gospel that had impacted, that had benefited the Philippians already. They were a church. They were a church of saved believers. So Paul could confidently tell them that God was going to fulfill this promise. He was going to reward their generous and sacrificial hearts as they partnered with him in the ministry of the gospel. Now, when we read this verse, it's easy to see why people cling to this. Because, listen, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Mm. When hearing that God will meet all your needs according to his riches... And until we dig into this a little bit more, it's easy to understand why this verse is also one of the most misused verses in the Bible. I mean, Paul is speaking confidently. There's no question. But we got to ask, was this then just a promise to the Philippians? This is situational to them? No, not at all. This promise absolutely has implications for us today. But one of the biggest challenges that we're going to run into with a verse like this is that we can hear it, but because of the situation or circumstance we find ourselves in, because of the wilderness we're in, sometimes it's hard to actually believe it. Because if this promise is true, then why? Why are we still unsatisfied? If this promise is true, then why 
Am I so restless? If this promise is true, then why do I feel as though I'm living in that continual situation over and over and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight? Why am I so worn out? If God is giving me all I need. Well, those are some really, really good questions. And as I studied this week, I kept that in my mind. How can we answer that, those questions? And there's three things that came into uh, sight for me as I studied this that I want to share with you. And the first one is this. Our perspective impacts how we will understand the promise. Okay? Our perspective impacts how we will understand the promise. Perspective matters. It really does. Perspective matters. I find it amazing to watch how people can see the exact same situation and report on it completely differently depending on what their perspective is. You ever find that? We see it all over the place. I had an interesting situation for me where I I got to live this one out. I was driving on the 401. This was years ago. I was commuting from Oshawa to Toronto. And if you are a commuter, then you know that there are spots on the 401 that you are going to hit and you are just going to get into traffic there. You know it's coming. For me back then, and I know that things have changed since then, but for me, it was right on the turn before you hit the exit to the zoo. It was Meadowvale and Port Union, and that's where it always stopped. And so as I came around the corner, I stopped, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and the pickup truck behind me didn't have the same experience that I had. And he was barreling down, and going 85, bang. I saw it coming so much I had a drink in my hand, I actually put it down and braced for impact. Please show up. They say to him, what happened? Want to see how perspective is different? He said, that guy slammed on his brakes. I said, officer, I can fully admit that my brakes were completely engaged, but it was because I was at a complete stop. Two totally different perspectives of the same situation. Police officer said, actually, it's okay. We've already seen the traffic camera. (laughs) We know what happened. A third perspective altogether. But we have to realize that our perspective is dictated by all sorts of things. It's how we experience things. It's our own personal bias. It's our wants. It's our desires. That's going to shape and shift how we perceive things. And with this promise, we got to check our perspective on a couple of things. Because in order to understand what it's saying, our perspective needs to be right. And the first thing that you want to consider, the first perspective is what is your perspective of God? We worship a big God. Amen? We worship a really big God. Amen? Amen. And I think Paul recognized that. You could see that. He had no doubt that God was going to be able to do what he was telling the Philippians he was going to do. That he was going to provide for every one of their needs. So how was it that Paul was able to do that? Well, you got to consider what was Paul's perspective of God. Because this promise is rooted in the understanding that God is a really big God who is completely equipped to do this. Not only is he completely equipped, he is completely sovereign, he is completely powerful, and he is completely resourced to do it as well. And he can do exactly what Paul has promised. Paul was not underestimating God. That's an important thing that we should remember. Because what we think about God really matters here. 
Are we a church who lives like that? Are we ever underestimating God? If you're right now saying, I don't know if God's delivering on this because my circumstances don't really tell me. Let's just take a second and get our hearts and our minds aligned with who we're talking about here. I mean, this is the God who created the universe and everything in it. This is the God who controls everything. He has unlimited resources. This is the one who, as we heard last week, protects us in so many ways. He's the one who provides for us in all things, even in death, because he has unlimited power. He controls the heavens and the earth. He controls the big things, but he also controls the little microscopic things too, doesn't he? Because he has complete sovereignty over all of it. And yeah, it's good that we read about it. We can read about it all through the scriptures, right? We can see it over and over and over again how God shows his people that he's going to give them what they need. And we want to remind ourselves, we want to be in the word. But hey, what about your own testimony for a minute? What has your own experience with God been? Think about that for a minute. What has he done in your life? Think about when you were first saved to where you are now. Wow. Amazing things that he's done. How has he cared for you? How has he sheltered you? What about those times that you didn't know what was going on, but you can look back and go, I know he was there. Do you believe that God can take care of all of the details in your life? Because do you think God knows what you need in your life? God knows everything that we need. He knows physical, emotional, spiritual, absolutely everything. He has unlimited knowledge about you. He knows every hair on your head, even the ones that have fallen out. He knows every cell in your body. He knows every thought before you ever speak it. So he is completely aware of what it is that we need. And if we believe that God is good, if we believe that God is righteous, this is why this matters, our perspective of God, and we now know that God is completely able to fulfill this promise, and he's completely aware of what our needs are in order to fill them, then how he fills them is entirely good and up to him. Okay, that's important to remember because he is doing something and he's giving us what we need. And that brings us to the second thing. We got to check our perspective on that. And that is, so what's our perspective of need? When considering this verse, we have to make sure that we do not confuse needs with wants. Is this promise saying that God is going to give you whatever you want? Nope. That's not what it's saying at all. Actually, that's completely counter to what we're told in Scripture. James 1, consider it joy when you experience trials of all kinds. Pure joy when you experience all trials, right? That's a lot of things that are coming our way. Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself, pick up your cross. Paul wrote this letter from prison. Is this where he wanted to be? I don't think so, probably not. I don't think it was ideal for sure. And if you read just a few verses earlier at the start of chapter four, you're gonna see how Paul tells the Philippians that they can have the strength to be content in all circumstances, no matter what's going on in their lives. So it's unlikely that just a couple of sentences later, he's gonna say, oh, by the way, you're gonna also get whatever you want. 
But this is where we can get confused. Because this verse is really easy to embrace when what we want and what we need are the same thing. I'm hungry. I want food. You need food. Here's food. That's easy. What makes this verse so difficult is what happens when what you need is actually what you don't want. Mm, that can be difficult. That can be difficult. And the problem comes because, one, we cannot trust ourselves in determining what we need. We just can't. We can't determine what it is that we need. Why? Well, for one thing, it's because we don't have all the information. We are basing our assessment of our situation and the circumstance on a perspective that is really, really low to the ground. What do I mean by low to the ground? You ever watch sports? I'm a huge football fan. I love football. I can watch football all day. And it's my happy place. But there are some things that happen in a football game which are just infuriating. One of them is my, the, the running back gets the ball. And I'm watching on the TV. And there is a huge hole right here for him to run through. And he decides he's going to turn left into a 300-pound lineman. What's he doing? Or the quarterback gets the ball, and he's, good, he's looking for somebody to throw to. And you can see down the field, there's a guy wide open like this. And the quarterback just dishes it off, and you're like, how did he miss that? We missed it, and they missed it because they don't have the same luxury that we have. See, we get to see it from top down. We get to see it from the whole field. They get to see it from ground level. They only see it from their perspective. They're seeing what's in front of them. They can't see everything we see. And that limited perspective is where we are in our lives. Sometimes we don't see everything that's going on. So we don't have a good perspective. We can't see it. But God's doing something. He might give us what we need, but it's tainted by this limited perspective. It is also, secondly, tainted by our sinful nature. We just got to just accept that. We have a sinful nature. So the things that we want are not always going to be aligned with what God believes is the best for us. And when our desires and our decisions are seen through a lens that's not aligned with the things of God... We find ourselves now with no perspective or a limited perspective. It's impossible for us to determine what it is that we need. So what do we do? We trust God. Why? Because God has the best perspective of anybody. God knows everything that's going on. He can see it top down. He knows everything that's there. And it's better than anything we could ever even hope to do. So when God says this is what you need... Your perspective should shift a little bit. I may not get this. I may not understand it, and I may not want this. But God, God knows. God knows. Sometimes we just don't understand it at all. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. That's why it tells us in Romans 8, 26, it says, you don't know what to pray, the Spirit will pray. The Spirit's going to pray and intercede for you because the Spirit knows. He knows. So what do we pray for? We pray that our desires 
come into alignment with the will of God. That's what we have to pray for. Because when they do, when our desires shift into the things of God, suddenly our perspective completely changes. And we recognize that in this promise. We recognize that God, being who God is, and understanding that we're not, is the only one who can meet all of my needs. Even if I don't totally understand the situation that I find myself in, it might not be what I want, but it's precisely what I need. And that's why our perspective is critical. Even in those situations that we are just at the end of our ropes with, I don't want it anymore. God's doing something. We just have to be aware of how we're going to experience it. And what impacts our experience? Well, that's going to be our second point. And our second point is our participation impacts how we experience this promise. A lot of times it's easy to feel as though God's just doing his own thing. You know, we just sit back, wait to see what he's going to do, especially when we find ourselves in the wilderness. But there's this amazing thing that happens that God calls us to actually participate in the things that he does. That is mind-blowing. Just think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28 for a minute, right? It says, tells us to go and make disciples. Just in that, we're actually called to do that. Are we called to do that because God can't accomplish what he wants to without us? I don't think so. Not a chance. So why does he do it? Why does he call us? He calls us to participate in things because when we do, we get impacted as well. We're actually impacted by it. Think about it. When you share the gospel with somebody, guess what? You're preaching God's word to yourself. You are, you are telling your testimony to yourself. You're cementing it. When you share the gospel with somebody and they receive the Lord and you see the change that happens in their life, man, what a testimony to what God does. When you preach the word over and over to somebody and they don't receive the Lord, God is still doing something. He's still shaping you. He's still doing something. He's still doing something. And when we recognize all of the benefits that come with participating in the things of God, then we get to experience them in new and fresh ways, but they work in tandem. We're going to see this thing in, as, or this in this passage. If we look in verse 15 real quick, notice that Paul says that the Philippian church was the only church that supported his mission. And the promise of verse 19 is tied to this, okay? So this is sort of the, the starting point. And it gives us this interesting thing that happens with giving and receiving. Let's look at verse 15. It says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Look at what Paul is saying they're sharing in. The matter of giving and receiving. Notice it's not the matter of giving and the matter of receiving. This is a combo. It's the matter of giving and receiving. They are tied together. They're not separated in any way. They work together. Okay, that's going to be important in how we understand the promise. And the sharing that Paul is talking about here, where he says, you shared with me, that's language that's describing a partnership. They're in a partnership with him. The Philippians had funded Paul as a way of investing in the work of spreading the gospel, that gospel which they themselves had received. Okay, they benefited from this, and now they're going to they're fund it. But pay attention because the partnership now is not just between two parties. It's trilateral. It's between three parties. Okay, watch how this plays out. It's really neat. 
uh, it always includes and goes through God. That's the third party. And Paul and the Philippians are clearly seeing this. Verse 17 says, Paul says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. What does he mean by that? Well, Paul was recognizing that the offering of the church was just that. It was an offering to God, and God was going to recognize that. It was Paul's desire then that the account of the Philippians would get even more than what they had given. That's called, by the way, a return on investment. When you invest something, whatever you get back, that's a, that's a return on investment. Now, could Paul provide that return on investment? No. How do we know that? Because he was in prison and the Philippians were the only church that funded him. But Paul's confidently telling them they're going to get a return on investment. Why? Because God is the person who's actually going to do the returning. See, it goes all through him. It goes right through him. And that's why Paul could speak confidently about this partnership and say, look, you are going to have all of your needs met. And get that we have an account with God too. Let that sink in for a minute. We have an account with God. Which, let's put this into focus, everything that we have, our our jobs, our resources, everything that we have, everything comes from God. All of it. And in this passage, both we're seeing Paul and the Philippians, they're talking about their accounts, Through the generosity of the Philippians, by way of God, it benefited Paul's account monetarily. Okay? So he he received that. And we know that because at the very first part of verse 18, he says everything was given in full and an abundance. He had it all. And he recognized that this was a provision from God. It was a provision from God. His trust was rooted in the Lord. And similarly, Paul was saying that the offering made by the Philippian church wasn't to him, but rather to the Lord as well. That's why he uses this language that he does. In the second part of verse 18, he says, fragrant offering. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's language that we hear as an offering to the Lord. You can read about that, Exodus, Leviticus, Ephesians. It's all, you'll hear that, you'll, you'll read that. It's a good, it's an offering up to God. That was good in the eyes of God. Why was it good in the eyes of God? Because the gift of the church was revealing that God's work had been bearing fruit in their lives and was seen as an offering to him. So because of what God had done for them, they're now going to give back to God, which is great. And they're going to do it by partnering with Paul in his mission because they're partners. You are partners at Calvary. And then from God, that offering was going to be given to Paul. So what we think at first when we read this might be it's one transaction. It's the Philippians giving their offering to Paul. It's actually two. How? Because, and watch how the giving and receiving works. Because Paul gave his life for the spread of the gospel and he has received funding monetarily from God. God used the offering that the Philippian church. How do we know that? Because the Philippian church had given that gift to God as an offering. So we have in the first one, Paul has given and received. In the second one, the Philippian church has given. So where's the receiving? Well, that's where verse 19 comes in. That's what it's saying in verse 19. The return on investment is going to come, and it's going to be all you need. Now, if your perception is right, 
then how's it going to come? Well, is it going to come physical, spiritual, emotional, monetarily? Maybe. But I don't know. It is going to be what you need. And what if what you need isn't what you want? Are you okay with that? We have to be okay with that because we just said God is perfectly able and aware to do what he says he's going to do. And note also that the offering that was given was sacrificial, which means that they gave something up in order to to give. That's what made it a pleasing aroma to the Lord is that it came at a cost. We have to give sacrificially because it matters. We're stretching ourselves. We're acknowledging that everything that we have in our account comes from God. And how they participate really matters in this. Because watch in verse 18 and 19. It actually tells you what the return on investment is. It says, as you, as you sort of compare the two verses, it's neat. Because it says uh, that the Philippians met one of Paul's needs. But their return on investment is that God is going to meet all of theirs. They did it sacrificially from their poverty. And God is going to respond from where? His riches. That's a pretty good return. That's what they're getting from it. God is always going to give us our best. Always going to give us his best. So what do we have to do? As followers of Jesus, therefore, we need, as, we're, as we're saved by grace, by his sacrifice, we respond by giving him sacrificially, and we give him our best as well. We have to ask if our participation is anything less. If we're giving anything less than our best, we're missing out on experiencing this promise in the way that it's written. I can tell you from personal experience. When I was first saved, when I first came to know the Lord, I remember I treated God as though he was this thing. My life was like a room and I had a shelf and I took God and I put him, this is my perspective only by the way, I put him on the shelf. And on Sundays I'd come out and I'd get him out with all of my other stuff that I loved and I'd take it with me. I'd take him with me to church. And then I'd come home from church and I'd put him back up on the shelf. But then something strange happened because he started taking up a lot more real estate in my room. And I started to become enthralled by him. All of a sudden, the things that really mattered to me once stopped mattering because he had taken, its, he'd taken their place. It's, it was gone. I remember even being at work at one point. You know, I would rather talk to people about Jesus than talk to them about the things that I was supposed to be talking to them about. He'd just overtaken my room. But even then, I had in the back corner a locker. And in that locker, it had a little post-it note that I'd written, and it said, mine. Mine. And it was almost always financial. Almost always. I earned it. I get to decide how I spend it. And then I did a Bible study here. I was in a small group. And we went through Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Watch the relationship that's coming here between giving and receiving. Watch how this works. God says, test me in this. Test me in this. This is where we're supposed to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Test me. We should test him. We should test him with our finances. Here's that giving and receiving. So I did. This is my own personal testimony. I did test him. And I experienced him in an entirely different way than I ever had before. 
I got to experience him in a way that completely changed my perspective, helped align my heart with the way because I could, I could trust him with everything. Even the things that I held most dear, I could completely trust him with. And so my relationship with him, went, with him went to a whole new place. But the other thing that we need to consider is whether our expectations actually align with God's provision, okay? So when we do this, what are we expecting back? Well, we gotta expect back what God believes we need, which may actually be something that we don't want. So does that mean don't do it? No, do it. Because we want the things that we need. Gotta ask, is God enough? Do you trust him with everything? Our obedience to genuine sacrificial giving results in spiritual growth and a renewed sense of who God is. That's why when we're in those wilderness moments that we feel like we're never gonna get out of, that's precisely why this promise comes into so much focus for us is because it changes the way we actually see the situation. His promise is that he's gonna provide all we need. And whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is, it's perfect for us. And then we can experience it richly. So if the perspective impacts how we understand it and our participation understands how we experience it, and the last point, really quickly, is that our priority impacts how we express this promise. The Philippians made their offering a priority in their lifestyle. They had shown that they were completely committed to putting the needs of the gospel over their own. And they did it as an act of worship. That's an important note. It's an act of worship to the God who had saved them, who had given them the ultimate need through Christ. And they offered in a way that no other church had done. They were being commended for that. Why were they being commended for that? Because sacrificial giving is not normal. It's not normal to the ways of the world. The ways of the world tell us that we need to try to build up our own little kingdoms. God says, actually, let me do that for you out of my riches. It is important that we realize that our giving is an act of worship to the Lord. We have never been called to live like the rest of the world. And it's an act of worship because it's an acknowledgement that we confidently trust God as a provider for us and it is an act of thanksgiving. That's what we're saying to him. Thank you for giving me it all anyways. It's yours, it's his. And when we truly embrace the promise that God will consistently meet all of our needs, our lifestyle then reflects this provision of God. We actually get to live in a different way. We're not gonna have to be stuck in these situations. We don't have to feel trapped by them anymore. We have been given a way out. You get to live in a different way when you embrace this promise, when you, you understand it, when you, can, when you can live out a lifestyle of giving and thanksgiving. Because what we prioritize says a lot about our hearts and what we think we need. Things that we've been fearing, the things that we've been losing sleep over, those things, they all just suddenly become not so serious. How we live serves as a witness to people. It's good. It matters to God. And the more we worship God in our day-to-day -day lifestyles, the more we show the world who we know God to be. Because who better is it to place our trust in with all than the one who gave it all to us anyways? I'm gonna pray, but we're gonna go to a time where we remember and commemorate all that God has done for us and the most important need that was fulfilled, which is our need for eternal salvation. Let's get our minds and our hearts aligned as we pray. Father, thank you for 
your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for reminding us that we can come out of these wilderness moments, Lord, because of what you provide for us. You are a good, good father. And so, Father, I ask as we head to the communion table now that you'll help let us use this time as a time to examine ourselves, a time that we can be reminded of this promise that you have given us and will continue to give us all we need. Align our hearts and our mind to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.